my CEO calls me and says, I have good news and I have bad news. Um, the good news is that you still have $50,000 in your development pot. Um, I'm like, that's great. Yeah, we're on track. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend it. He's like, well, the bad news is that you have four weeks to spend all of it or else it disappears. Welcome, friends, to Exec Producer. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Every episode of Exec Producer offers a deep dive into one of your favorite shows from the point of view of both the producer who dreamt it up and the executive who championed it, where the idea came from, the hurdles they faced in selling it, and ultimately, how it made it to air and into popular culture. I've worked as an executive at four separate networks, and I've produced and overseen hundreds of hours of television. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I hope to share some of that wisdom with you. So settle in, turn it up, and enjoy. And please also remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EP with NP. So with that, thank you again, and enjoy the show. All right, here we go. I am sitting in the unbelievable Comcast Tower overlooking, I guess, what was it, the backside of the Hollywood Hills here? Heather Olander's office, head of reality for both USA and Sci-Fi. Heather, thank you for hosting us today. And we're also joined by Adam Greener, producer extraordinaire, who is, among other things, known for bringing Todd Chrisley into our lives. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Chrisley Knows Best a show that is now in its, I believe, sixth season on USA, going strong, closing in on 100 episodes, but also a show that has a really, really incredible, fascinating backstory of how a show without a celebrity, off in Atlanta, you know, made it on a network that really had never had a reality breakout hit before. So let's start how I start all of these. Adam, Chrisley's, what was the light bulb moment? What was the first Walk us back to the first time you heard about Todd Chrisley, learned about Todd Chrisley. How did you find Todd Chrisley? Tell us about that light bulb. I befriended a casting associate by the name of Annie K. Pons, who uh, heard that I was going to be starting a, a new company or running the, opening up the U.S. office of Maverick TV, a U.K.-based company. And she's like, ooh, are you going to need ideas? And I was like, of, always, of course. What kind of stuff are you going to be looking for? And at the time, everyone was looking for their, like, reality uh, modern Family. And so that was like very much on the tip. And so that was like one of the first things I said. And um, she said, uh, I have someone you should really, you should meet. Um, he's really interesting. In her previous life, she was a buyer, a fashion buyer in New York. And so, and he was at the early stages of creating his department store line. Um, and so so for six months, she was his buyer, and that's where they met in New York and had great stories. I'm like, I'd love to meet this guy. And really, I think like that moment of, and, the, and I think the takeaway is always like looking, never turning down any, you never know where the idea is going to come from. It could be from your mailman. It could be from, you know, uh, the barista uh, or, you know, that annoying uncle that always thinks he has a great idea. Like always be listening, always being like, well, let me hear it, you know, um, and because that's, that's how that manifests. That's how it came to be. And so she told me about this. And I'm like, I'm, inter- I'm definitely interested in me. You got any pictures? And it was this one photo that she showed me that I was like, yes, there's a story there. And it was his family holiday card that was in his living room. They had three Christmas trees. One of them was white, of course. And you, they were all done up 
in Georgia style, be- like the makeup, layers of makeup and the hair teased all the way to the top. And I couldn't tell who the mother was. I couldn't tell who Julie was. And so I thought like, that's really interesting. Like there's a story there. When is, when can I meet him? Well, she, he's flying out next week to get his hair cut. So I was like, awesome, I'll meet him. And so the first meeting was uh, five hours long and he wouldn't shut up. He wouldn't stop talking. And I knew I was on to something because I didn't want him to stop talking. I couldn't get a word in edgewise and I didn't care because the way he was telling his stories was part of what he had to say. The way he enunciated in his pauses, his delivery is, is, is made for reality television, as we often say. Um, of course, he wasn't a celebrity. And so at the time, there wasn't really anything you can point to uh, that was uh, a, a, you could point to Bravo doing their Housewives franchises and those are hour-long dramas, but there was no half hour that was ever done that wasn't celebrity-based. And so it wasn't like obvious at the beginning. I envisioned the show to be an hour long, actually, because that, w- that was more easily um, uh, sellable, I thought. And then when I um, went down there to shoot the presentation, I realized that we had something very, very different. And the show, actually, I envisioned it around the oldest daughter, Lindsay, because at the time she had such a fascinating story. She had eloped. I remember if you remember this. At the, at the time, she had eloped and without telling anyone in her family to Mexico to marry, marry her husband. And then she got pregnant. And her father didn't even know she was pregnant to that day when I was shooting the presentation. So I'm like, there is something here. There is like, and everyone had something to say about Lindsay. She was the lightning rod in that family. And so when I went down there, I was thinking I was going to shoot an hour-long drama, and then it turned into, it turned into a half hour, clearly based on uh, getting to know Todd and the rest of the family and that presentation that you, that you could see. All right. You talk about shooting the presentation, you know, in, the, in this version of the show, or in this version of your story, you had the idea, you met with your casting director, you met Todd for five hours, and then you go shoot a presentation. But it's my understanding there was a lot more to it than that. And that shooting this presentation, this was not a normal presentation. I mean, I think typically those are funded by networks if you want to do it right. Or, you know, you cut out of your development budget a little bit of money or, or you know, people even now just do Skype tapes, right? And cut together found footage on the internet. And someone like Todd's obviously an undeniable personality. Can you... You share a little bit about yeah, this sure. presentation because I think it's a pretty unique, interesting, you know, tale. I had been given a de- as when I started at Maverick, I had X number of dollars per year, which broke down to X number of dollars per month to shoot presentations and sizzles and stuff. I just started, and I was probably about four. Or f- uh, I was probably about five or six months in that um, I got a call from the CEO at the time, Jim Sayer, and I, I had planned. I was already kind of in development with. Todd and the family and kind of figuring out how best there, I I knew I wanted to shoot something because a Skype tape would not do it justice, but I didn't, I wouldn't, I didn't plan to do what I eventually ended up doing. Um, so, uh, my CEO calls me and says, I have good news and I have bad news. Um, the good news is that you still have $50,000 in your development pot. Um, I'm like, that's great. Yeah. And we're on track I'm going to, I'm going to spend it. He's like, well, the bad news is that you have four weeks to spend all of it or else it disappears. Brewster's millions. So I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, 
I quickly pulled my team into the conference room with the whiteboard, and I wrote on the top of it, Operation August. And we are going to figure out how best to spend all of this money. It has to be accounted for you know, and spent by the end of the month. And ideas were thrown around and all that. And then we, I was like, you know what? Why not just spend it all on this one presentation and make it the best presentation we've ever done? We have the talent. We have an opportunity to do something that's really, especially for Maverick being a young company, can blow the gate out of this. And really, even if it doesn't sell, buyers can see what we're capable of doing and all that stuff. So, uh, so that's what we ended up doing. So I, we, we went down there. Um, I produced it myself with a great um, producing partner, Eric Salat. Three days in, and we were getting great stuff, but Lindsay has a big blow-up with Todd and, and leaves, leaves the house, storms out. And Todd goes, is Lindsay coming back? Because we, we still have more shooting to do and interviews. I didn't interview the kids. And, she's like, and he's like, no, she's, she's gone. I'm like, well, when is she coming back? She's not. Okay, so, uh, so she's out of the presentation or... She's like, yeah, she's actually out of the family. <laughs> um, and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, well, I guess. So it's a little bit, because I still envision this being the hour long and all that. And he's like, I told him, I said, I, I don't think we really have a show that I envisioned without Lindsay. And he looks at me, he's like, well, then I guess you don't have a show. And I was like, hmm, okay. I got to rethink this. So I pack my bags and all that. And I head back to L.A., and, um, you know, it was, I had envisioned this entire present every day with the interviews with the kids and I didn't have all the pieces of it. And so I wasn't sure exactly what to do with the pieces I had. Um, and so, uh, a couple months passed actually. So these tapes were sitting on my shelf for a couple of months. And then Annie K calls and says, Hey, would you be willing to, uh, go back down there and finish the presentation? I'm like, well, what's up with Lindsay? And he goes, and she says, Lindsay, is back in the family, and, and Todd wants you to finish it. So I'm out of money, though. I have no money. And then Annie goes, well, Todd, Todd will help pay you to finish it. And so that's what he did. Um, he paid to, to finish the presentation. Um, we didn't go back down there because we realized that we had basically enough to cut in half hour, this, to sell this half hour idea. Um, and hats off to Ed Hanlon, who was the editor who came in, took all of the fit, footage and really gave life to what that presentation, you know, what the show, um, the style and the tone of it, and the music um, eventually became. So Heather, you're sitting here in the USA offices, working, building a reality department, basically from scratch, right? I mean, the network had dabbled, but it had never really had its bona fide sort of signature hit. Obviously, we're still a ways away from Adam walking in your door, but had you put out the siren call of, I want the reality modern family. Was that just Adam's sort of perception of it, um, just in the marketplace? I mean, where, what was the first time you ever heard of this show? I mean, you must have heard a million things under the sun before you found this show. I mean, what was your headspace kind of around this time when Adam was about to walk through your doors? Um, I don't think we were specifically looking for a docu-series, really. We were, you know, USA is a very large cable network, more akin, I would say, to a broadcast network than a typical reality-driven um, cable network. So we were looking more at formats, honestly. And at that time, um, we were about, thank God, to launch Modern Family. It was going to come on our air as an acquisition. But up to that point, we only had dramas. There would have been no place to put a half hour. Um, and so we weren't looking for comedy at all. And I joke, too, because it's like if 
there's zero chance I think anyone would have been sort of put out a casting, you know, uh, said, hey, we want a southern guy from the south. It was like all the elements that they had, wealthy, kid, like pageant, like that would not have been the thing that we would ever have specifically looked for. So back to like ideas come from anywhere or the um, – uh, the thing you're not looking for ends up being the perfect idea. This is one of those scenarios. And it, it, the, this show was absolutely sold on the merits of the tape. Uh, the talent, obviously, but then the tape that Adam and team put together. All right. So now Mr. Chrisley comes in to the rescue. Uh, you know, he's basically uh, the arsonist that put out his own fire. He finishes the tape that he, you know, shut down himself. So you have something. You have something great. Your editor figures it out. You know that you have something hot here. Was it just a straight line to, to series then? I mean, what, you know, let's, let's talk about sort of your strategy then to go out with it. You have this hot thing, but again, there's no celebrity. It's this guy from Atlanta who you've already established is, uh, is going to be challenging to work with, you know, for a variety of reasons. But you know that this is a show, obviously, or you wouldn't have invested, you know, all this time and energy into it. You know, what is your strategy now? I, I, it's my understanding that there was another sort of, sort of uh, debate as to the length of this tape and and sort of what the finished version was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Maverick is a company that's underneath the All Three umbrella. And at the time, uh, All Three was being run by uh, Eli Holtzman. And so uh, the story, the, how that went, and he jokes about it all the time, is that when we did the initial cut of the tape, the tape was like nine minutes, nine minutes long. Uh, actually, the first one was about 12 minutes, then we cut it down to nine. And then we started circulating it to our team and our agents and all three. And, uh, and, you know, the reaction, everyone was very favorable towards it. Um, but the reaction was that it was too long. And he, even Eli said, listen, you've got to cut this down in half because buyers don't have that attention span. And, and uh, you know, and he made some really good points. And Aaron Sedman came in and he added some, you know, he added some good suggestions and add some cards to it and just, just make it faster and, and, and uh, not as much of a commitment. And so I said, okay, that's interesting, and left the room. And I really, really believed that the version, th- that the version I presented to him and, and to the rest of everyone else was the one I needed buyers to see because it was such a clear vision of the show. It wasn't a sales tape. It was the show. Like, that was it. And so, you know, and... and Eli, to, to, to his credit, will often say, like, at the best thing I could have done was not listen to him uh, in, that, you know, in that case. Gordon Havolka, who was uh, our agent at the time, um, looked at it, and actually I said, what do you think about the length of this? And he said, it's perfect. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. We're taking this out. And I was like, wow. So MTV, Shannon Fitzgerald was the first one we pitched over the phone, and we sent her the tape, and she called me, like, 30 seconds later, and she's like this is incredible. We want it. I'm like, really? MTV wants this. But it has to be, and she said, well, it has to be through the eyes of the kids and it has to be their story. I'm like, oh, okay. All right. That might be, that might be a bit challenging, but okay. Anything's possible. Wasn't sure I'd be getting um, seven more offers, which is what happened. So as we took it out to uh, TLC and all the NBC universal networks like Bravo and, um, uh, USA and E, everybody was throwing their hat in the ring and, and wanted it. Um, we had three out of those eight offers. Three of them were series offers. Um, and just to your, I'm getting to your point, is that uh, OWN offered, was the only network that offered 
16 episodes, one-hour episodes, and they wanted it to be hour-longs. And there was a lot of discussion internally because they were like, this is, that's big. Hour-longs, 16, you know? Um, and I said, guys, it's not an hour-long show. It's not. It might have been when we, f- you know, first envisioned the, the, the premise of Todd and his family, but I know it's not. Um, all right. So you're setting up your pitches, obviously, you know, bearing the lead. We know that you had many, many offers. But to Heather's earlier point, USA was dramas, USA was formats. I mean, why did you even pitch USA is, is a real question. And I guess second, you know, going over to you, Heather, why did you take the pitch, you know, outside of just wanting to hear everything? And, you know, what are your memories? What are your thoughts of that, of, you know, getting the call from Gordon or ICM, you know, the ex- explanation? I mean, we've sat in these... You know, you sat in a similar chair, right? You hear these things and you, sometimes you want to be polite and you don't want to miss out on things, but this is, sounds pretty far afield. I think it was like, hey, we have like many of these docuseries. Hey, I have a great family. You have to see this family. And I've done doc, because I came up through MTV and docu-soaps is my world. And I've taken a million pitches. And even at USA, it just, I have a million had come through. And families are really hard. And I'm like, okay, cool. Send it along or I'll take the pitch. I, I knew Adam and I have a long relationship. Anytime Adam has, it's like, come on, have him come in. And you come in and much like you said about the first time you saw an image of the Crisley family, you had a deck and you plopped it down on the desk on my, and I saw the image, I'm like, okay, now I got to see, like that image immediately you're captivated. So then you're like, all right, let me see more. And the tape goes in and I had the same reaction every single other buyer did, which is like, holy fuck, excuse me. Um, there's a show here. Not even there's a show here, like there could be a show here. It's like, this is a show. Back to Adam's point, by shooting the quality that they shot by showing nine minutes, there was no question about whether there was a potential for a possibility for something. You were actually watching what what felt like an episode of TV, which made the buy very easy. And so... Luck, and lucky, luckily for me, I worked for someone, Jeff, Jeff Wachtel was my boss at the time, who um, was a real, had creative vision and was a renegade in his own way and very creatively supportive. And so, and kind of, I think, loved when, loved taking chances. So luck, luckily I had that support because when I walked in and I, I sort of set it up like, I am going to show you something complete, way far afield from anything we've ever, ever done or maybe you've ever seen at USA, but it's great. Okay, so eight offers three of them to series. What is it about Heather? What is it about USA? Why, you know, I think you started to elaborate a little bit about other channels maybe wanting to wanting it, but wanting to make it their own. You know, what was it about mm-hmm. Heather's, you know, Heather's switch? Because it's like now, you know, you go in as your, your contestant on The Voice, but now all four of those judges have turned around their chairs. So what is it about USA that, that made you want to come here? Still to this day, I remember stopping that tape and your reaction when you, your mouth was wide open and you turned to me and then you turned back to the screen and then back to me and like you, ever, so much was going on in your head. Um, so it was, I mean, her reaction was, was just so um, great. And I think it, it was a number of things that, you know, we were in what I think every developer and seller wants, like fantasizes about is having buyers call them to sell them on their network, why it's right for their network. And so, I mean, it doesn't happen. It's, it's you know, it uh, doesn't happen very often. Um, but with, with USA, with Heather, you know, uh, it, there was a lot of things that were right about it. Um, not only is because they were launching Modern Family, and so they were putting a 
shit ton of money behind marketing that, that we would be, that would be our lead-in. So we could benefit from all of that marketing. And also, USA, as Heather would explain to me, markets their shows. Unlike every other network that relies on, um, you know, what your lead-in is uh, or, or something to, to be discovered, um, there was real ad dollars, real money being put behind marketing of this show. This was going to be a big, big um, tentpole show for them, a big launch. And I think all those were great. It were great uh, reasons, but it was Heather honestly saying to me that she was going to let us make the show that we pitched her and not touch it at all. We just, she just wanted that tape delivered, that family, those stories deliver that. I will come to set once that season and never again. <laughs> and she lived and she, uh, and she followed through with all of that. But it's, but it's definitely so unlike an executive to just be, I mean, now obviously Adam earned it, right? Yes, and and yes, he was in yes, the driver's seat yes. as well with, you know, choosing who he wanted to choose. But yeah. that's still a major leap of faith for a show that's wildly different. And you're out there trying to, you know, make your reputation. Yes. I mean, it's not really a question so much as a compliment, I guess. Were you scared? No. No, I wasn't because I, first of all, I think you, at a certain point in your career as an executive, all you're worth is your, your instinct, your gut. Like there's a little skill, obviously you learn along the way, but at a certain point it's, you have to trust your gut and your instinct. And I think that's a theme in probably this story and many of the others when mm-hmm. you're sitting down talking to people, it comes down to your gut. Does this, based on experience and whatever, you just kind of have to follow it. And in this one, I just had the sense that, like, this guy in this family is going to be, it's going to work. Whether, fingers crossed, it was going to work on USA, but the show itself was a hit, period. Um, And the other piece of it was that um, the show had, it was well-developed. It was, it had great characters. The tone was there. The look in tone, the music that was the music in the classical music, the way it was shot, the look, the feel, the pacing that was all there. And so it it was at a point it was developed to a point that I could say we can just go make this show. So 99 percent of the time, the stuff that comes through that you're buying is not there yet. So you can't say go make this because it's not fully fleshed out yet. Um, and this one it was. And, and in a very, very smart way. I mean, like I said, every piece of it just felt, the whole package felt right. Um, and so, yeah, I felt they're actually very confident. I really did. Like, you could see the show, and as long as you made that, I was confident we were going to have a great, great series. So what do you think happens had you gone the route that so many other producers would have gone, which is I'm going to Skype with this guy in Atlanta and his crazy family, and I'm going to do found footage, and I'm going to cut together a three to four minute sales tape. You know, what, what happens there? You maybe get some presentation offers. I mean, do you, does he even get an offer at USA with that version of it? Is Todd that undeniable that you think he still gets something or is it the total package that really pushed it over the top? I think you would have gotten pilot presentation. Let's see more. It would have taken a longer, pro, you know, no, you wouldn't have gotten series offers. No way. I mean, I guess so much of that probably is a function of everyone's just going in with these tapes that took them, you know, a week to put together. Right. But then on the flip side, you know, who has the finances to shoot multiple versions of, you know, what you did here? I mean, what do you think the solution is in that? You're going to know more about because I don't come, obviously, from, from the production company side. But, but I do would, see the tapes. I do see the tapes. And what I would say is 
focus on fewer and bet against fewer, like put more resources against fewer things. And again, I think it might come a little bit back to gut. I think it's listen to your gut about what you truly do believe could be a hit and can sell, but even more than just can sell, but it can be an actual hit and put more resources against those things versus the... It's you sort of said it earlier, which is this fear of, well, shit, I don't want to let this one go because maybe it's going to be hit somewhere else. And I think if you have that and you spread your resources, your brain, your creative juices that thin, you're going to come up in a place you just mentioned, which is it's, you know, you're, you're getting small development deals here and there um, that dilute your own, your own mental capacity and all of your resources. So I, I, I think producers, production companies would be better served to pare down development slates and put more resources against fewer things. Okay, so initial order was for eight episodes. No pilot, right? So you're, you're on your way at this point. Um, and you've got Todd, right? You've got the whole family, but you've got Todd, mm-hmm. right? And I guess the question is, here's a man who, again, shut down production, you know, kicked his own daughter out of the family, uh, then came back, paid for it himself to finish. Um, you know, he's got three Christmas trees and flies to Los Angeles to get his hair cut. What sort of uh, producing gymnastics were required for you to keep the trains on the track to deliver those eight half hours? Because I can't imagine it looked exactly like what you drew up prior to uh, heading down to Atlanta. Three words, Stephanie Block Chambers. <laughs> No, that's with that. Stephanie Block Chambers, uh, I will give all the credit to in regards to a lot of that. Um, she was our showrunner. She was our showrunner um, for those first couple of seasons. And the first season, you know, we had a roadmap because of the tape, and we had an arc that we promised um, that we mostly delivered on, which was the season arc, which was opening his department store. Um, and that was kind of the through line for the whole season. Um, but also they were, because this was all new to them and because of them, they're from the South, from Georgia, they were very welcoming to us. And that first se- first season was, com- I mean, honestly, it was completely conflict free as far as like how to get the show done. Like they were rolling out the red carpet for us. They wanted the show to succeed. They looked at it as a huge opportunity, and so they were very easy to work with in that regard. Um, and we had really just an amazing team put together. Um, you know, Stephanie and her team that she hired, and Jen Leamy, and it was, honestly, it was the perfect storm. And, uh, and everyone, you know, and it was, and also a lot of fun to work on. The environment that was created through, you know, Todd, you know, at his house and the family, and, uh, and Stephanie and the team, like, it was just, all it all just came together, you know. In season one, <laughs> <laughs> right? But unlike yeah. you know, you take a show where the format is bigger than the cast, right? Or I don't know. You mentioned the Real Housewives earlier, right? Like if you're not delivering, there's a new Real Housewife that can slot into your place. But here with Todd, you've got someone who's filling. I mean, he's basically Chris Jenner and he's Kim Kardashian. You know, in the sense that he's, you know, he's bigger than all of it but you're 100 episodes in. So what's the secret? A lot of antidepressants. <laughs> um, no, I think the... I think it, it, is, it is about um, the team. It's about having the right people. You know, I think you're dealing with a lot of personalities. And of course, as the show, be- you know, uh, became more and more popular and, and, 
you know, it, it, it affects talent. It affects how, how easy they might be to work with. I think that they have more things going on in their lives, so it's harder to schedule. But, you know, and so that, of course, I'm not, I'm stating the obvious, like it gets more challenging. But, um, but just having the right people in place, and especially, um, you know, when you're dealing with doc, doc series like this with very big personalities, very opinionated, very strong, you really have to have the right people, um, you know, to handle that talent, to be able to diffuse uh, or to, to, you know, like not, not like handle them like they're children, but in a way, you know, like to be the parent in the situation. Um, because, you know, like, yeah, there's no replacing anyone in that family. There's no, there, Todd is, you know, he's the, he's the star, he's the lead. And so, you know, it's important to keep him in good spirits and showing up because it's a, because it's a comedy, it does, it, you can't really have, you have conflict where it might contribute to story, but off camera, if there's, there's conflict in that family, I'm not stating anything that no one knows. Um, that, that made things complicated because you can't, you know, have things blow up behind camera and then step in and, uh, and then be funny. And so that's, you know, I think that's, I think that's anyone, anyone doing a doc comedy is going to face those, those challenges. It's also a lot of episodes. I mean, when you, it's like, you know, we were doing, we are doing now 22 episodes. It's a lot of shooting. I mean, you have to think about, you know, you're doing a sitcom, you're shooting one day a week on a Friday for five hours. You're doing a table read and you're on a stage. These people, we are in their lives, in their homes, shooting for many hours a day. We're asking a lot of them and in, to Adam's point, sort of in their personal lives where this is a real family with real conflict. And then we're asking them to sort of, you know, be fun and be entertaining, you know? Right. So it's, it's, you know, it's tricky. It's, it's tricky for them too. And we have to be a little understanding of that. You know, the, the be careful what you wish for, um, yeah. because the, the show became so popular that it, it basically took over their lives. Um, and so I can't, especially for kids, it's, I can't really imagine what that must be like growing up on camera. So, uh, so, you know, I, I think season six still going strong. It's a testament to like them being able to adapt to a new way of life. Um, you know, and keep the show, keep the show going. So it seems like today in the marketplace, so much of what's selling shows with IP shows with celebrity <clears throat> shows with more than just a big personality. Uh, now granted, this has only been on the air for, for a few years now, but if this same show comes into the door or if a personality like Todd Chrisley comes in tomorrow, um, is there still room for unknowns to really break out on TV, you know, in the current marketplace? Or is there as much room, I guess, would be the question. I'd say yes. I, th- I think so. I think, um, I think a good show... Listen, sh- shows, period, are hard to launch, right? So any, which is why IP and Big Celeb is the thing. It's, it's, it's less about... Those things are less about sustainability and much more about just launching. Because at the end, it has to be a good show. But I think a good show whatever it is can still work and you, you can still have a hit without those two things these days. Um, it does take patience. You have to stick with it. You have to do more episodes than just sort of that six episode run. Um, you know, I think if time, whereas we launched eight episodes in season one, five years ago, and it did really well, I think maybe those same episodes today may have not done as well. And we would have had to look at it. That's our marketing season and stick with it and do it again and believe in it. But I still do think that um, a show like that can absolutely work. People love big personality. People love great characters. At the heart of it, whether it's reality or scripted, great characters prevail. They just do, period. So I think absolutely. And I would, I would buy that show again any day of the week. 
that was an anomaly. I think lightning in a bottle, Todd and his family, um, not being celebrities, but instantly being, them being able to draw you in right away. I, is, I don't think anyone's done it since, no. really. Well, so, uh, you know, as mentioned a couple of times, you're closing in on 100 episodes. Uh, the show premiered to, you know, close to 2 million viewers an episode. It's still getting close to 2 million viewers an episode. How long can you sustain that? It's got its highest. I think last season it was hitting its highest ratings. It's um, well, it's interesting. There was uh, in Variety magazine. This was at least two years ago, I believe. There was a chart, like, and I think we both looked at it, where it showed for for shows that were successes um, in non-scripted. The highest rated seasons tended to be seasons five and six. That's and the whole point was that's how kind of long it took people to really find it in, in masses. Mm. So I think we're kind of at that like pinnacle now. That who knows what happens next? But even if that show starts to like go down a bit, it's still one of the high, if not the highest original on USA. So um, we're still going strong. The quality of the show is still there. Um, Todd's really funny. He's still appealing. So I think I, I, it still has a lot of life. Is the answer. And people, that's the beauty of comedy, right? With drama, you have to keep coming up with new story and, like, what's the conflict with comedy? It's it's people love to laugh and laugh with Todd. So, you know, we can constantly find funny things about, you know, to laugh mm-hmm. with him and his family about. All right, so let's talk about the two of you guys in your relationship because it's very clear just sitting you here with you guys for the last, you know, however long, that there's a real affection, a real affinity, um, and a really just great working relationship that, frankly, I think you don't see a lot. Um, you know, and obviously I'm sure su- success is a driver of a lot of that, but, you know, the producer network executive relationship seems to be at a, a bit of a low point right now. Um, and you know, what, what is the secret sauce, not just for Chrissy's, but for the relationship you guys were able to, you know, to build and, you know, why do you think that that's not more common in our industry, at least here in 2018? I, I mean, I think one, I, I'm just, I'll say one thing is I think it is people, network executives, I'll speak from that side, is they don't look enough at the relationship with producers as a partnership. I th- you know, it's a we're in this together versus an us and a them. And I think there's a lot of fear. There's pervasive fear about job security and am I going to be laid off? And that then results in not really wanting to, you know, stake a claim and put your name on it and place, you know, take risks, fall on swords, um, take responsibility because if something goes wrong, and it's sometimes it's not even executive's fault. It's if they have a manager or supervisor who places blame for making a decision that maybe the manager wouldn't, then that that um, uh, that facilitates uh, an environment of fear, and that just perpetuates that let that's kind of behavior, which then is bad for the relationship with producers because they are not getting notes that they can count on. Um, they're being run in different directions, and that it's a failed partnership at that point. Um, which is, I don't, I, I, you know what, it's better or worse. I, I'm all about like, you know what, I, I give a note, I own it. Um, Back to what I said earlier, all your val- your value in this business is about your gut, your instinct, um, your creative vision, and 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 to me, it is I, I the joy I have of being a network executive, and I really do like it. It's not about sort of the meetings and the whatever and sitting in the seat. It is the relationship with producers and getting to work with them and helping them navigate the network to get their show on the air when it's when when the show deserves to be on the air. I think it's very rewarding, and I I, I enjoy that process. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. I think like the, I, what our what I've really valued in our relationship with Heather and myself and then USA and our company is just this collaborative um, spirit that you don't really find anymore with networks. Um, 
they there's no respect of what the vision is, um, and there's micromanaging down to the smallest level. And I never felt that way from Heather or USA. It was very this trust and this like we're in this together. This is your opportunity. We love this show. We're gonna give you and like the space you need to to bring it to life. And it's very rare that 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 happens, at least in my experience, you know, um, there, I mean, what executive promises to come on set once on a first season and, and then she left. And in that first day, by the way, the first scene that we shot was supposed to be a happy family, um, dinner, um, where they're opening Christmas gifts or something. And the family ended up having a huge blow up (laughs) and yelling and, and storming out and, we we're like, hmm, so this is a comedy, right? <laughs> and she still got on a plane the next day. So do you guys have hope? Are you optimistic that, that this sort of low point in the relationship between executives and producers will get fixed? Or do you think that you're, you know, do you think because you had this fantastic tape and you had a relationship that predated and that that drove all this? I mean, do you, how do we fix it? You know, I mean, is it, is it, is it fixable? I think it's fixable, right? I think it's fixable. I think people have to pay attention. I think it's a little, I think it's a a function a little bit of fear and people brings out the worst, right? It just, I mean, we've all been in corporations and it it does bring out the worst in people. They panic, they start to, again, uh, they behave in, they take sides, they, there's a retreat to corner, again, don't want to take responsibility for things, um, they act in ways they wouldn't otherwise. I think they take less chances. They're creatively a little oppressed, repressed. Um, so I think now in this time of, you know, ratings are a little bit, um, uh, they're going on the, there's a lot to talk about. Ratings are down, contraction of the business. Where is it going? Again, back to like, is my job going to be lost? Mm. I think that this culture right now is not maybe the best for it. Um, so I think when maybe things start to even out a little bit and there's a little more confidence in the business, um, that will start to alleviate a little bit. But that also, it's the, I think to that end though, it, it's a, it's, it's a job of senior management to, um, to, to instill confidence in their employees in times like this. And I will say at this and this is not me just saying this, is I will say it, I, I do appreciate at, at NBC, I, and I have not had this everywhere, there is this nice feeling of like constant communication. I know what's happening. I know what's coming. Um, the leadership is solid, and it, it's, I know where we are going. I know where we are, we are heading the goals are clear and I know my position in the organization and it helps me do my, I can free up to do my job. Cause if, if that's all clear to me, I know my path and I don't think a lot of my counterparts at other um, companies don't. Uh-huh. It's, and I think, so it's, I think it's, if management sort of was a little bit better in times of turmoil, like we're in now, it might help some of that. Um, so I think it's a, it's, it's management combined with we're in a time now that's just very uncertain. It's uncertain. And I wish it would get I think it should improve because I think it helps the content in the end. I really do. And, you know, it's, it should be a fun business. I think uh, fear is one of the worst dangers of the creative process. And so a lot of these, uh, you know, um, these smaller networks are panicking and these executives are panicking and everything has to be a hit. There's this, there's this, um, this fear that like they can't fail. And so they don't want to take any chances anymore. I think that you, I mean, even looking back when, when Heather first bought this show, that was a huge risk. I mean, huge, but it did not 
hesitant, but it didn't, there was no skipping a step, though. It was still, like, all in. You know, you commit to it, and that's where something great happens. That's where, like, the un, un, like something you can't manage, you can't think, you can't plan for, you're going to get a result. And that's why you, you, you're care, you hire the right team, the producers. If you're, you trust the producers that are delivering the show for you, that's got to be a big part of it. Um, and so thank you for trusting yeah, no, thanks yeah. for delivering. <laughs> Thank God! <laughs> yeah, a smarter person than me once said that doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. Right, yeah. So there you have it. So I guess last question, but uh, what does the Chrisley's Christmas card look like today? Oh God. Or are you not on that list anymore? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't received a, a card in about four years. So I, 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 I can't, have you? No, no I, don't, I don't even know if they're still doing Christmas cards. I think like the show, there's Christmas specials. Yes. Maybe that's Christmas there. Christmas yeah, it takes albums. Christmas albums. I think that all takes albums. place of, Christmas of Christmas albums. cards. Yeah. That's their card to everyone. Yeah. All right. Christmas gifts to the world. <laughs> to the world. Exactly. So there you have it. The full story of Chrisley Knows Best. Thank you to Greg Mercer for creating our show art and to Chris Carmichael for composing our music and for all things technical. You can find their respective work at gregorymercer.com and christophercarmichael.com. Thanks as well to our guests, Heather Olander and Adam Greener, and to my incredible family for all of their help and support. Lastly, please do subscribe to Exec Producer anywhere you get your podcasts, and follow us on Instagram at EPWithNP. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and please come back again next time. I'm your host, Noah Pollock. Choose kind. <laughs>